Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, good morning. This is Terry Wickstrom, and I'm broadcasting live from my palatial studios at home. Um, You know, we've done... Uh, 300 television shows in the studio, but we've never done a radio show. And I am on the phone, so it may sound a little different, but we're doing this out of an an abundance of caution. I want everybody to know Karen and I don't have any symptoms or anything. We're just, um, everybody at the station is trying to kick in. Uh, The fan is really trying to be great citizens and do as much as we can to uh, make sure we contain this thing and get through it as quickly as possible. We will be talking a lot today about what's open, what's changing. We'll have two segments with Colorado State Parks. I will be um, keeping updated on their website in addition to that. By the way, before we get started, if you do want to um, keep track of what's going on at Colorado State Parks, if you go to my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom, Out, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and, you, and go down about three posts on the timeline, and you'll see a, a link to the Colorado State Parks coronavirus or COVID-19 a link. And that will they up that, update that usually daily, sometimes more than once a day. Sometimes they don't update it for a day or two if nothing's going on. We will keep following that and let you know when there's updates. But if you automatically, if you just want to get that page, go to my Facebook page right now, Terry Wistrom Outdoors. We're also bringing you things like the fishing report and updated closures on my Facebook page. Right now, let's go right to the phones. And uh, joining us from Discount Fishing Tackle in Denver, uh, and also a very prominent guide and accomplished angler, is Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Terry, how are you? Doing good, Terry. How are you? I'm doing fine, and it's kind of a u- unusual circumstance for me to be broadcasting from the studios at home, but uh, we're going to get through this. And, you know, Austin, the first thing I want to start out with everybody is that we want to try to make life as normal as we can, and you've got to do some things, but we want to be careful about how you approach what you do and what you don't do. But um, we're going to try to keep them appraised. And, you know, fishing, being near the water can be almost therapeutic, but you have to do it responsibly. That's definitely right. And, and uh, you know, it's something that, that uh, responsible angling has always been something that, that we've talked about, but this is certainly something that's uh, a lot different here right now. It, it really is. And, you know, there's closures, there's things going on. Um, right now, Parks and Wildlife uh, is actually encouraging people to go fishing. I talked to Aurora Reservoir, and they're open for fishing. So let's kind of go through... Um, before we get into some more details on how to act and things, let's go through just some of what I know you were out on the water just prior to some of the things that have happened. Let's kind of go through if people do get a chance to go fishing, where they might go, and then we'll talk about how to approach it when you get there. Yeah, so especially with everything going on right now, a lot of people are encouraging you to stay generally in the same area that you live, and, and Tadfield and Cherry Creek certainly are uh, that for a lot of people in this state, and both are actually starting to fish really well right now. So over at Cherry Creek, we've had an earlier post-spawn bite than we've seen in a lot of years in the past. So usually right about now is when everything fires off after the fish are done spawning, 
and you're able to, to head out there and, and pull lead core in the main basin and catch them. But that's actually been happening now for the last several weeks and continuing to go really strong right now. Granted, we have had this little cold front here right now, so that may adjust things a little bit uh, over the, the near future, but we'll get back to normal as we get back warm next week. But those walleyes are suspended, and they're sitting deep out in that basin. And the, and the majority of the fish that are the most active are going to be the ones that are going to be right near the bottom. So the key to fishing that is is have some lead core on a setup, drop down some small crankbaits like Berkeley flicker shads or Salmo hornets. The color varies from day to day. So last time we were out, uh, more of a purple-type tone worked really good, ironically, called funky brown uh, from Salmo, but that's a very similar color to a purple tiger flicker shad. And then uh, Fire Tiger has also been good out there. But uh, more importantly than, than color is just how you're presenting that lure, making sure you're you know right near I, the bottom without hitting the bottom. You know what I found is one of the most important aspects of, uh, of color, and the one that catches the most is usually the one you have tied on. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and you're right, color can be a key, but color can be way down the list. But if it is important, it, it can be really important. I want to expound a little bit on lead core. Uh, I want to expound a little bit more on the lead core. You know, a lot of people don't have lead core. They might not be able to do that trolling. But first, let's go through that just a little bit. I haven't done it for a while. I used to do it extensively. In fact, I helped write those segments for in fishermen in their walleye books. And uh, did a lot on the lakes right here in Colorado. Lead core is uh, an extremely versatile presentation, and it's good for mountain lakes that have a lot of change in depth and curve contours because it kind of planes around but it's very speed sensitive you know um, if you're pulling a crankbait just on monofilament or, or super line your speed has very little to do with the depth of the lure unless unless it's a sinking lure that has weight or you've added weight sure. lead core is very sen- lead core is very sensitive so when you're using lead core let's say you're trying to stay about 20 feet deep and at this time of the year, you're trolling pretty slow. Now, at 20 feet deep for me, and if I'm going faster, say, two miles an hour, I probably have out about four colors and a, and a significant leader, maybe 10 feet, not like some people do. How do you rig up for that, and what speeds do you troll at? So the, the speeds out there have also been varying from a day-to-day basis. So everything that we're talking about right now, just remember that if you're out there and something's not working, make a little bit of an adjustment. But I've been seeing anywhere from 1.4 to 1.7 miles per hour, depending upon the the given day. And maintaining a consistent speed like that is important. If you don't have the capabilities on a sonar, getting some form of an app on your phone to be able to to maintain and and monitor that is important. But when you're letting out, I typically am not looking at color so much as I am having a, a line counter on my reel. But we'll let out line until that the, the lure starts ticking the bottom, and then you'll reel up slightly. And at that 1.4 range, I'm in the neighborhood of, of 80 feet or so. And then as you get up closer to 1.7, 1.8, depending upon the lure and how, how hard it's diving on the, on the end, um, you're going to be more into the range of, of that 100 to 110-foot range. But maintaining just kind of a constant check where you let it out and see if it's hitting and reel it up just a little bit. You want to be right on the cusp of being of hitting the bottom without actually hitting it. No, you're, you're absolutely right because you want to stay pretty close. And you don't want to troll super fast typically this time of the year. You're right, these cold nope. fronts. Although although I will, I will say this about the cold fronts. 
If you're fishing those fish shallower, as we will be soon as they move up to feed more, as the bait moves in and things, um, a cold front can really shut them down. Or if they're oh, yeah. still in the spawning phases, it can really shut them down. Now, it will shut them down in the bottom, too. But some trolling deep, they don't seem to shut down quite as bad. Has that been your experience? Agree. Yep, I would definitely I think, agree more. You know, when you're in a situation like we're dealing with the chatfield right now where most of the fish are, are shallower, that is definitely going to affect that more than those fish sitting deep water at Cherry Creek. And I'll tell you what, Cherry Creek, I used to fish that um, that drop off, that 20 foot off the dam post pre and post spawn, and you didn't get a lot of bites. Now, another thing we need to tell people, this typically isn't a numbers game, but if you do get into a school of those active males, it can be. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, depending upon the day, you know, we've seen fish this time of year, you know, up to 30 or 40 fish days a lot of times. But then there are certain times when you go out there and you got to be happy with four or five, but they're nicer fish. So it's it's just good. You know, you got to go out there with, with the correct expectation that this is not June, but you have an opportunity to still catch some fish. All right. Now we've kind of gone through Cherry Creek. Let's take us through maybe a couple of the other lakes from a boat, and then let's talk a little bit about shore fishing. Yeah, so both of those things are doing quite well at uh, Chatfield right now. So the, the, the night trolling bite has been pretty darn decent with uh, stick baits, longer stick baits like Smithwick Rogues and Berkeley Cutters and Arapala X-Raps all have been productive. Once again, color has been slightly less important, but uh, each individual night has been important on a specific color, if that makes sense. So um, although I've not been able to really duplicate a, a single color on a, on a two nights in a row, uh, making sure to kind of cycle through and figure out what you're doing is, is important there. Um, trolling at that 1.4 to 1.6 range has also been good, but we're bagging lead core out there and doing much more on a planer board bite. Um, that middle of the day bite has not been super great, but as you get toward the evening time, uh, trolling up high in the water column has been good. So anywhere from that uh, you know 25-foot range to 30-foot range, sometimes 18, depending upon the area, uh, but that's been productive, and then then the shore action out there has been pretty decent as well. And not just for walleyes, but a lot of pe- people are catching smallmouth right now. Um, and then the trout action has been really productive on the shoreline as well. So that's certainly providing um, some more opportunity, and certainly uh, that body of water is large enough that everybody can spread out really well and, and make sure that uh, this can remain open uh, through the near future. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about first uh you know, etiquette and all kind of, we won't spend a lot of time on boating. Um, we're going to have the ANS people on here later on this hour from parks. And we'll talk about the, um, the the protocols that we expect when you're launching your boat. But they are open. Cherry Creek, Chatfield, Aurora are open for boating. Um, as far as I know, Boyd and up here is open for boating. Horsetooth won't open till I think, April 1st, which is next week sometime. And we'll have more. So right now, but things could change daily. First, I'm going to tell people, go to my webpage and get that, that, get that link to the COVID-19 at Parks and Wildlife and check, and check the particular lake you're going to before you go as far as whether they're open for boating. Now, let's talk about shore. A lot of people just want to get out and fish now. And, there's, you know, normally we're talking about techniques from walleyes morning and evening. You mentioned the smallmouth bass. That's a great option from shore. But let's talk oh, about yeah. the bigger reservoirs first and then maybe the ponds a little bit. When you go, for, a lot of people just want to get out and do something. They're going to fish from shore. So what, I want to talk about what you've heard, but first let's talk, you know, when you go shore fishing, 
um, I heard a report from St. Brain the other day that people were lined up shoulder to shoulder. If you're going to go shore fishing, maintain maintain 10 or 15 feet. First of all, fishermen don't want you right on top of them. And, and second of all, And second of all, you shouldn't be closer. And if we start packing these in and get too close, they will close them, and we will lose this opportunity for who knows how long. Several states have already closed all their waters to fishing. So, folks, we, we just, we're just appealing to you to be, uh, to be, you know, sensible and prudent when you do this. Now, that being said, a lot of people just want to go catch a few fish. Take me through the Chatfield Cherry Creek thing kind of things, but then the Aurora, Quincy, and maybe the small ponds. What are you hearing? Yeah. So the small ponds, as you're going to be shifting in, especially some of this warmer weather right now, the bass have started to be active. So going and trying something like a, a lipless crankbait on a yo-yo retrieve or before the weeds get up, doing more of a, a Ned rig or even a Senko can all work really good right now. Some of the max scent generals from Berkeley are a pretty good bet with that. But um, working along your edges can certainly be productive. But then Chatfield and, and not so much Cherry Creek. Cherry Creek shore bite has not been that good. But Chatfield bite has been offering some really good trout action and an occasional walleye. So you can certainly try a jerk bait here and there. Uh, but throwing some bigger spoons, like a, a Castmaster or a Tasmanian Devil, all can work really well. And then at Aurora, the one big advantage of that lake especially is it offers pretty much the best metro trout fishing out there. So that particular body of water can have great trout along the shoreline, even offering fly fishing opportunities. Uh, but then you may get an occasional walleye there as well. And then Quincy's going to go... Uh, about the same as we're talking about with these local ponds with uh, some really nice fish in there. So there's really nice largemouth and nice smallmouth in there. And the same sort of lipless crankbaits like a Rapala ripping wrap can all be effective out there. And then as with everything this early spring, bass will eat a jerkbait. So a jerkbait on a pause, particularly the suspending jerkbait, all will give you opportunities this time of year. And another thing I'd suggest is follow the stocking report and go catch, take, go out and catch a few trout, take them home, take your kids out. You know, in the, yep. the smaller bodies of water, especially, but even the big ones right now, you mentioned a cast master or a spoon will work great. But, you know, some power bait on the bottom, if you just want to catch some trout, will do great. Another thing I like to do both for panfish and trout this time of the year is a small bobber. It doesn't even have to be a slip bobber because you can cast it in shallow water and put it down about two, three feet and just have a little piece of gulp or some live bait, uh, you know, a piece of night crawler will catch just about anything. If you've still got uh, access to things like mealworms and things like that. And even as the weeds start to come up, the panfish are going to start to move into spawn. And you can have a, and you might not even catch any big enough to keep, but if you have a kid with you, they will catch fish one right after the other. And you can have a blast. But if you go to some of these put and take places that are stocked, especially if they've been stocked this spring, those fish are near shore, they're hungry. And you can just have a blast catching them or throw little inline spinners like you and I did the giveaway on a few weeks yep. ago would be just great. And they'll catch smallmouth and walleyes too. Yeah, and one thing just on a slightly different note, talking about stocking fish right now, unfortunately the uh, the walleye spawn net operation this year was not able to be conducted. So we are not going to be receiving any additional walleyes in our lakes this year. Um, so certainly something to consider when you're talking about taking a fish home. Definitely here and there is no no big deal at all, but just maybe be a little bit more conservative about keeping some of these walleyes um, for this this year in particular. We're running out of time here, Austin. Um, are you guys available if people need information in any way? Absolutely. So my phone number, I'm, I'm always answering my phone, and it's 303-514-5546. That's 
but also my email at walleye93 at gmail.com, certainly being checked all the time. So I'm happy to help folks with information and then um, online orders, discountfishingdenver.com. I'm able to do that as well, or I could ship something to you if you gave me a ring on that phone number as well, or shot me an email once again at walleye93 at gmail.com. All right, my friend, hang in there. We'll get through this. And if people are responsible, they can still get out and enjoy the outdoors. I certainly appreciate it, Terry. Thank you. Thanks, Austin. Talk to you soon. Bye. Austin Parr, really great. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, um, uh, Parks and Wildlife is going to join us. And one of the main things they're going to talk about is the upcoming big game draw here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. All right, you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, broadcasting from my studio at home out of an abundance of caution. We are not, uh, not now no symptoms or no exposure, just trying to do the right thing. But let's go right back to the phones, and joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is uh, Debbie Leninger. Good morning, Debbie. Good morning, Terry. Um, and you, I believe, are contacting me from home also. Right. I'm staying home out of an abundance from ca- of caution as well. Lots of our employees are working from home, but we're still answering phone calls, emails on a regular basis and keeping things running. Well, and I think that's one of the things. I know we're going to talk about the big game drop, but one of the things I know you guys are trying to do is encourage responsible use of the outdoors yet, uh, as long as it's done in the right way and it doesn't violate any of the rules. And also, you're you're trying to keep people's lives as normal as possible, and your own lives, isn't that right? Right. It's very important that everybody uh, heed the governor's warning and stay at home. However, if you want to get out and recreate, definitely follow the CDC guidelines about social distancing. I heard you earlier talking about, you know, fishing next to each other, and you definitely want to spread out if you're going to go out and recreate. Right now, our state parks are all still open. However, the visitor centers. We're not allowing people into our offices or visitor centers right now so that we can keep our employees safe and people who are visiting the parks. But we're glad to welcome people out. We did close the campgrounds yesterday, so we're dealing with that. But still get walking, hiking, you know, enjoying our recreation is important. Yeah, and we're going to have the the, the people who do the inspections for the invasive species on in the next segment, we're going to talk about those protocols. But I think the important thing that we want to emphasize, some states and even some places here in Colorado, people have overloved the outdoors during this time. A lot of people off work, kids out of school, and they've, they've crowded into places without using common sense. And I know it's out of everybody's in a, a different state of mind because it's weighing on people. But people just need to be very responsible and understand, because if they do start overcrowding, you guys will be forced to close things, and that's the last thing you want to do, right? Absolutely. Have respect yeah. for your fellow man right now. Yeah. Let's talk about the big game draw. I know that you guys are getting inundated with calls about is the deadline staying the same, what's changing, is there going to be anything different? And I think the overall message is everything's staying the same, but why don't you take us through what's happening? Right. Um, There are some key things I want people to remember, and we just had some breaking news yesterday that we figured out. People were getting emails that the hunting seasons were shut down, and we learned that it was from a prank website sending out these emails, and so if anybody gets an email that we're shutting down, that's not accurate. 
again, we have that COVID-19 webpage that's linked right off of the homepage of our website that gives you the up-to-date information. But um, the big game draw deadline is still April 7th, which is only 10 days away at 8 o'clock that night. And what we really want to encourage hunters about is apply early. Don't wait till the last minute. Last year we had everybody applying on that very last weekend and all the way up until 8 o'clock that night. And it locked some people out just because they got to the 8 o'clock deadline. So please apply early. That's the key message this year. And, again, that deadline is April 7th at 8 o'clock. So we want everybody to get on board. Um, We've had to shift because we don't have access to people in our offices right now. Everything that you need is online. Um, Just go to the Big Game Hunting page on cpw.state.co.us or uh, Google Colorado Parks and Wildlife and then click on the Big Game Hunting uh, web link and everything should be there. Just read through it carefully, take it easy, slow down. You know, if you're looking for this, that, or the other thing, it's there. Um, if you arrow down on the pa- as you arrow down on the page, we've created some resources that are really helpful this year, that are all online for you. The, we have a video about what's new for 2020. This is the start of the five-year big game season structure, so some of those dates for your regular hunting dates have kind of shifted around. So people need to pay attention to that. We've got a Secrets of the Big Game Draw video done by our education coordinator in the Northeast region. He's fabulous, but there really aren't any secrets. The secret is you need to open up that Big Game brochure and kind of read through, pay attention to what you need to get your hunting application in. And then just yesterday we posted, it's called the 2020 Big Game Limited License Application Visual Guide. Now that's a government title for you. Um, But just look for the visual guide. It's down the page under uh, planning resources. It's a gray shaded box, and you can go there, and that will lead you through step-by-step on applying online. It shows you the screens. It tells you what things to look for um, and how to enter things all the way through checkout. And then I want to encourage hunters to really print that receipt at the end of of their transactions. Keep that with you. You'll also receive an email that gives you your – confirmation but print the receipt when you're done and people should be working through that should be pretty easy you've got to have an online account with us this is our i think our third year of that so most people should be set those are the key things right now now you you mentioned that there's no people in the offices but are any of the call center people working from home i know that they're going to get overwhelmed but if you just get stuck and can't get anywhere is the call center in some form still available the call center is available. Yes, we're working. Even though we're the call center is actually in place, but you can't get into the office. You never would with the call center anyway. But uh, that number is three zero three two nine seven one one nine two. So if you're absolutely stuck, that is the number that you could call if you can't work out something on your account. However, if you want to apply online, we cannot take applications in our call center. So that number is 800-244-5613. But it's best to apply online. Also, if you look inside your big game brochure, all of our our wildlife office, wildlife oriented offices are listed on the inside of the big game brochure, spread out through the state, so you can call someone local if you're statewide and you need a number. 
Would you go through where you would start online again, just real quickly, if you're going to do everything, where the resources are, just the 30 seconds? Sure. Big Game, you want to go to the Big Game Hunting page, you can Google Colorado Parks and Wildlife, or our website is actually cpw.state.co.us. And then once you get on the website, you click Hunting, and you click on Big Game and then you'll come to our big game page. And to apply online, you'll see right on the right hand, buy and apply, that clicks and takes you to our secure website where you can put in your application. If you need any of the resources, they're on Colorado Parks and Wildlife website. So you want it's easiest to start there, look through anything that you want to see, and then just go up to the top of the page and click the buy and apply, and it will take you off to the website. All right, Debbie, any last comments? Any last comments before we let you go? Um, No, just be safe. You can apply in the comfort of your living room while we're all staying home, so don't wait. Please take this weekend and do it now rather than waiting till the last minute. All right. Thank you, my friend. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks, you too. You bet. You're listening to Terry Wicks from Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We are going to go right back to the phones, and joining us from Parks and Wildlife is Robert Walters. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Terry. And how are you this morning? I assume you're home and safe. And Absolutely, I am. Enjoying a little bit of snow out there this morning. That's right. I forgot to ask. I'm up in Fort Collins broadcasting from my studio at home, and we didn't get any snow. We got some flakes in the air, but our ground is, was wet with bears. So how much snow did you get down there? I'm um, in North Denver, and we got a inch or two. Nothing significant, but it looks nice. Well, we always need the moisture here. That I know people get tired of hearing that, but that's a, the reality <laughs> of living in Colorado. And, you know, and dealing with that moisture and saving that water has become um, – an issue because our reservoirs feel like they, you know, they could be compromised by invasive species. And that's kind of where you come in. You're one of the invasive species specialists and you help coordinate all the activities that try to prevent that from happening. So um, I guess first, first of all, kind of tell people, um, you know, what invasive species do we look for in Colorado? I think they've heard this plenty of times, but what is our current status with invasive species? Uh, so the biggest, there's a whole bunch of different species that we're concerned with, um, but the primary focus of our program um, would be the zebra and quagga mussel, which are non-native bivalve species that were introduced from Eastern Europe. Uh, we're very fortunate here in Colorado that we don't have any established populations of zebra or quagga mussels. There has never been an adult mussel found in any of Colorado's waters. Um, so we just do everything we can to make sure that that continues to be the case. Now, you and I have talked before. We talked earlier this week, in fact, and we were talking about the fact that, <clears throat> excuse me, that because all the water in Colorado, no water flows into Colorado. We're very unique in that way that all the rivers flow through. I guess the Green River kind of cuts the corner a little bit. But for the most part, all the rivers originate in Colorado. 
So that means we don't get any mussels washed in here from entities above, upstream from us, but it also adds an added responsibility for us ours to keep ours especially non-infected so we don't wash it downstream too. Is that kind of the focus of what goes on? Uh, yeah, that's certainly a consideration. As you said, you know, there is the potential for invasive species to move downstream. Um, but again, as you said there, we really don't have many circumstances where we're downstream of any other states or locations. So um, we're headwater states, so everything flows downstream from us. So while that's very fortunate and that we're not going to get invasive species moved in from um, stream movement or downstream dispersal, it does add another layer of responsibility because everybody else is downstream of us. So if something were to happen in one of these headwaters, that would have significant implications on everything downstream. Now I want to get to how successful it's been and what the public responsibilities are and those type of things. But before we move on, I know things are changing daily. Have there been any, any uh, people, I think, in Colorado who boat have become pretty familiar with the inspection process, that inspectors are there, <laughs> but has the current situation at this time required any change in protocol that you know of? Um, at this time, we still are, are out there offering inspections and decontaminations um, at our state park facilities that are open at this time. Uh, we do have a couple um, points of guidance for the boaters, though, in interacting with the inspectors just to make sure that everybody remains safe in this situation. So a couple things is that we would request that all boaters maintain a social distance of six feet minimum when interacting with the inspectors. Uh, please don't just pull forward up to the inspectors. Wait for them to wave you forward to that inspection station. When you get up there, please remain in your vehicle, set the parking brake, and turn the vehicle off. If you have one of our green seals and receipts from a previous inspection, please keep your windows closed and show it to the inspector through the window glass to minimize that direct contact. Um, follow the inspector's instructions. If you do need to get out of the vehicle to insist with an inspection, again, make sure you maintain that six feet minimum. And ideally, we want to visit lakes and reservoirs in your local area and limit um, travel to go boating. And last but not least, of course, we just want to make sure everybody's following the recommendations of the CDC and the Department of Public Health and Environment to help us stop the spread of COVID-19. Well, hopefully everybody cooperates well and we can maintain some boating activities throughout this and then get back to more normalcy. And I, <clears throat> I'm sure there's some people that still question whether we need this or not. Why don't you kind of tell people what's happened over the last year or two as far as the, what the inspectors have found and what we've been able to keep out of our waters? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, again, we're in a very fortunate situation here in Colorado that we don't have any established populations of mussels, um, but the situation in some of our surrounding states is much different. Um, Lake Powell out on the Utah and Arizona border being a great example of a water that has become completely infested with quagga mussels. Uh, we have a very proactive program here in Colorado. We did about 480,000 inspections last year. We decontaminated 23,000 boats to make sure that they are not transporting any of these invasive species into our waters. And through those efforts, we intercepted 86 boats coming into our state that did have confirmed zebra or quagga mussel adults on them. 
Um, if one of those boats made it into our water, there is the potential that that could start up an infestation in one of our lakes or reservoirs. So again, it is really important that we stay out there and remain proactive on this. 86 may not seem like a ton in terms of 480,000 inspections. Of course, that's 86 more than we would like to see. And to compare that to years prior, in 2018, we had 51 interceptions. So we saw more than 30, an increase in that. And in 2017, we only had 26 interceptions. So again, in 2017, we had 26. By 2019, we had 86. So we're seeing a lot more of these things come in every single year, which means we are facing well, a greater risk. And, and, and we can kind of compare it to our, our existing situation right now and the fact that one person with uh, COVID-19 could go to a group meeting somewhere and all of a sudden there's 19 more people going to 19 other groups. And if one person with those muscles gets in a lake, there's going to be other boats that could end up with them and who knows where they would end up. So it's, we've got a pretty good analogy going on in our health situation right now, not in a different situation. I don't mean to compare them as far as their impact, but the way that these kind of things work. Um, so what do we expect from people other than, you know, they, they need to get inspected, have, what do they need to do between times at the lake and make sure their boat is ready for inspection? Yeah, so there are a few requirements of boaters. Um, one, starting last year, it is required that all motorboats and sailboats operating on Colorado's waters purchase an ANS stamp, and that funding is used to fund our inspection and decontamination program, as well as our sampling and monitoring and the other ANS activities we have here in the state. They are also required to remove all drain plugs when they exit the water body, remove any aquatic vegetation, and make sure that their boat is clean, drained, and dry. And that's, again, just making sure that there is no mud, plants, water, or, of course, any invasive animals when they're transporting their boat. Now, I think one of the best uh, things is one something you mentioned about the seal you can get on your boat. Like, I tend to go to Horse Tooth Reservoir quite a bit, and I go to Boyd because they're close to my home. And when I leave that lake, I get one of those um, one of those seals, and it sure makes the process so much nicer. It means that the inspector has to make sure I've, you know, haven't carried any aquatic uh, plants out with me, or that I've got all my drain plugs out, and there's no uh, nothing keeping water that could contaminate in the boat. But once I get that seal, it makes the return trip so nice because Virtually, I, I answer a couple questions, show them my receipt, and they cut the seal, and I'm on the water. And that's going to help minimize people having to have any contact with surfaces or boats and other people, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely it is. And that seal and receipt program is really meant to expedite the inspection process, um, especially if you're coming off of a water like void or horse tooth being great examples. Those waters are completely free of aquatic nuisance species. So when you return to the next water, you can prove that's where you last launched and got an inspection. So that should really expedite that inspection process. And again, with the kind of procedures we talked about earlier, there really is no need for a um, out-of-the-vehicle interaction with the inspector when you return with one of those seals and receipts from a negative water. Now, the only other uh, couple of quick questions I have for you. One is, if you do have live bait, um, what do you have to do with the water from that bait? Uh, live aquatic bait? Well, so yeah, um, like that's going to depend minnows. upon where you are here in the state. Um, but here east of the divide, if you are purchasing 
fish as bait, then what you need to do is hold on to the receipt. The receipts are valid for ANS inspections for seven days. So if you have a receipt within seven days, then you will be allowed to launch with it as is. If the receipt is greater than seven days, then we would perform what we call a bait treatment. And all that is is exchanging the water that your bait is being transferred in into lake or reservoir water from a known location. So there is no risk of contaminating um, our state waters through that bait use. And that applies to leeches too, I believe. Is that correct? That it does apply to leeches. Yep. Um, any species that's in water, um, we need to have that receipt. Otherwise, you're going to have to have the bait treatment. All right. And I just want people not to have any surprises. I have a feeling we're going to see some people showing up, maybe a little more, maybe taking that boat out of mothballs or maybe doing some fishing where they just went other boating before because I think people are looking for ways to fill their days. And we certainly want them to do this uh, uh, responsibly. And I appreciate you coming on. Uh, if there's going to be any changes as far as closes to boating or non-inspection sites, I, I imagine you will post that on the COVID-19 page at Parks and Wildlife? Absolutely, we will. All right. Robert, thank you so much. Hopefully we can get people started on a great boating season and stay close to home, but still go out and have some fun. Yeah, and I would also just like to say one last thing, Terry, and that's if anybody is out there boating, please just take the time to thank the inspectors for being out there. They are putting themselves and their health out there um, a little bit at risk to make sure we maintain this recreational opportunity. So any opportunity to say thanks is greatly appreciated. Yeah, and we should be doing that all the time because even without the COVID, there's been lakes and waters across the country that have been closed because um, the water providers were afraid of the impact of the mussels. And we've been able to keep the waters for the most part open in Colorado, and let's continue to do that. Robert, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Terry. All right. You're, you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. All right, well, you're keeping the, the bumper music rocking there, Kyle, even though I'm in my studio at home. Yes, sir. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. I am broadcasting live from my palatial studios in the Wickstrom abode. Actually, Karen has a better studio than I do, but she deserves one. She's produced like 300 television shows in those studios, but this is the first time We've done the radio show from these studios. We're actually having to do it by phone because we don't have a, a direct key to the station. But we're doing it out of an abundance of caution. Uh, we, we do not have any symptoms or exposure. We're just, uh, the station has uh, been very kind in giving us the options of coming in or doing it by phone and doing a lot of our hosts during the week. I've got some remote setups. We're really trying to limit contact, which all of you should be doing. I mean, we can get through this. I know it's a tough time right now, but if people use common sense, we limit contact with other people. Um, it only takes one person that you uh, that you interact with, and they go interact with one other person, and that person goes to a work environment or man, maybe a medical facility, and then all of a sudden we've got an outbreak. So let's the quicker we can corral this thing, the quicker we can back to some normal life. And speaking of that, I am keeping track of the closures, and we're monitoring them. We're trying to keep our social media up to date. Um, we will keep you informed on this radio station. We're going to have guests on that will update us, and we'll also have guests on with tips on how to deal with it and still get in your outdoor activity. And uh, so we're going to try. We're going to get through this together, and the outdoors can be great therapy. You just do it with common sense. 
Now, if you were listening to the last segment, um, you know that uh, Colorado State Parks are open. Now, the camping is closed. You can't camp at Colorado State Parks. But they're actually encouraging fishing, and they do have inspectors out, and they're launching boats. So places like Cherry Creek, Chatfield, Aurora Reservoir, Boyd Lake, soon Horsetooth, we hope. That's scheduled for next week. And across the state, Pueblo, there are inspectors in place, and they're launching boats. Just be very uh, considerate and aware of your social distancing. And shore fishing, and we're going to talk more about that and fly fishing as we go through the next few segments and we go through the next hour. There's a lot of opportunities out there, but try to go somewhere close to your home. And if there's a lot of people there, you know, turn around, go somewhere else or come back at a different time. Because if we overwhelm these places, there, um, <clears throat> there's going to be difficulty and they'll end up closing them and that's not what we want to happen also i want to take a quick word about the partners on this show you know each one is affected in different ways some are open some are closed but everybody that's a partner to the show has been a partner for a long long time um, they've contributed to us being able to bring you this information so if there's a way for you to support these people um, you know get a hold of them find out if they're open or closed Find out what they can do, what they can't do. And if you can support them with your business in some way without violating any of the rules, then you should do that because uh, they're the people that help us bring you this information. We're all in this together, and we need to support um, everybody. So there's a lot going on. Also, if you want to know what's going on at parks, Colorado State Parks, um, our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, if you go down, if you go to the page and you go down about three posts, I posted the Colorado State Parks COVID-19 information. They update that almost daily. So that's a good opportunity for you to uh, kind of keep track of what's going on at state parks. And while you're home, if you want to know about fishing right in the area, go to our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. There's about 130 episodes of our television shows up there. About half of those were filmed right here in the Colorado area or within the mountain region. In fact, Karen will be posting one uh, later this week or this upcoming week, next week, on fishing at North Michigan Reservoir. So there's lots of uh, lots of great uh, episodes you can watch on The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, uh, Nate Solinsky will join us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. 